Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. We're continuing our journey through the Bible. Today we're in the book of Proverbs. 31 chapters of Proverbs, there's enough to read one every day of the month, but you've got to read it all in a week if you're going to stay up with us. Open the Bible to Proverbs 3, I'll be looking there in a moment at verses 1 through 10. The English word proverb comes from two Latin words, pra or pro instead of and verba words instead of words instead of many words in other words it's a short catchy sentence or statement that summarizes a wise principle the hebrew word translated proverbs means a comparison and a lot of the proverbs are comparisons comparisons um, and contrast they're short sentences from long experience. The author is Solomon for the most part. A lot of the book testifies that Solomon wrote it. We know that he collected over 3,000 proverbs. We only have 917 of them in this book. Ecclesiastes 4, or excuse me, Ecclesiastes 12 tells us that he wrote many and collected others. The book of Proverbs is to be our to what it is to our practical life what Psalms is to our devotional life. It's sometimes called the book of James in the Old Testament because the book of James is very practical in nature. Proverbs is very practical in nature. You can divide it into four parts. The wisdom of Solomon, especially for the young, verses one through, chapters one through nine. For those who are young or young at heart or in some of your cases, childlike. <laughs> Part two, the wisdom of Solomon for all men, for all people, chapters 10 to 24. And then you have the wisdom of Solomon copied by Hezekiah's men, chapters 25 to 29. And then and almost like an appendix, chapters 30 and 31, the wisdom of others. You have some notes there and you'll be reading it this week. I want to focus on chapter three, beginning in verse one. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart Keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. According to the television, according to the internet, and a lot of printed media advertisements, Every one of you in here should be a millionaire or at least look like a celebrity. 
In order to become wealthy, all you have to do is order their course on how to invest or buy or sell real estate, open your own internet business or work from home, and you can even do it in your spare time. If you want to get rid of those saggy parts of your body, then you need to purchase their exercise program. And in three minutes a day and three days a week, you can have chiseled arms, shoulders, sculpted abs, sleek thighs, and tight buns. If you want to drop a few pounds, just order this new diet supplement pill. Eat what you want, whatever you want, and the weight will just melt off of you while you sleep. And if you apply this certain cream, then you can tighten those sagging facial skin and ward off wrinkles and look half your age. What's wrong with you people? How come you're not doing that? Now we laugh about it, but many of us would be embarrassed if somebody came looking in our closets and garages and medicine cabinets and might actually find some of that stuff, right? We're not gonna ask for people to raise their hands. All of us have been suckered into things because they hold out a promise that's connected to a desire that we have. If you didn't desire it, it wouldn't be even appealing to you. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to better yourself. There's nothing wrong with the desires that we have. The problem is those things cannot bring lasting or real success in life. Temporary pleasure, temporary achievement. But your success to God is not determined by your wealth or your status or, praise God, or your looks. Because if it was by looks, we would all be in trouble, wouldn't we? Those of you who are in business, you know what the word success, you know that the word success is a catch word. People want to know how they can succeed in business and how they can succeed in life. I've got some good news for you. God wants you to succeed. He does. I don't know who wrote this, but it said the road to success is marked with many tempting parking places. A lot of detours. But in this passage of Proverbs, we find some personal, practical principles that tell us how to find success, how to be successful in life. And that's all that matters. There's a pattern. There's a two-verse couplet. You'll notice there was five two-verse couplets. Depending on your translation of Scripture, it may even have it marked out that way for you. But there's also a pattern in that. It tells, God tells us what to do and the results of doing it. Now, they're generalities, but they're still so true for each of us, at least the results are, and I'll, I'll mention that to you in a moment. And I also want you to notice that the first three of these all mention the word heart. In your heart, write it on your heart, in your heart, all your heart. So there's something to this. It's about a commitment to the Lord to help you be successful in life. And the good news is you can start this right now. Maybe you say, well, I'm too far gone. No, you're not. You can be a success the rest of your life. How are you going to do that? Well, it begins with a heart of remembrance and obedience. 
Verse one says, my son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace. They will add to you. The commands of God, just like a father telling his son, don't forget what I've taught you. God is saying, he's our father. Don't forget what I've commanded you. Wouldn't it be nice if God would just speak out of heaven every day and tell us what he wants us to do? Or he wrote us a personal letter. Well, I want to tell you, where are you going to find God's commands? Right here. Right here in God's word. All scripture, it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. It is God-inspired. Every single word of it. He's trying to tell us, follow what I've commanded you. Why is it that all of a sudden we think that everything our parents told us to do when we got older, we always think, well, that's dumb. They're just trying to make me miserable. Why is it that God tells us what he wants us to do and mankind always rebels? They never remember. And he's saying, you gotta remember and then do it. A heart of remembrance and obedience. And he says, if you do that, length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. How many Star Trek fans in here? What does Spock always say? Live long and prosper. You didn't know that was biblical, did you? That's what it says in verse two. Length of days and long life. He didn't say, I'm gonna give you all the money you want. He didn't say, I, I'm going to give you all of the recognition and fame that you want. He did say, I want to add life. I want to add years to your life, and I want to add life to your years. There's a difference. Now, I know there are exceptions. You're going to say, well, I know somebody who died young. And you know what? We're going to talk about that in just a minute. I don't understand it all either, except that we live in a cursed world. But in general, I want to tell you, and I would tell young people, you want to live a long life, obey God and keep him first in your life. And the chances are good that you're going to live a long life. I know there are exceptions because of sin. It rains on the just and the unjust and so forth. But we begin, if you're going to be successful, God's formula for success, remember him and remember his commands and obey them. The second thing, a heart of love and integrity. Verse three, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Now, I'm reading from a New King James translation. You may have a New International Version or King James Version. In the New King James, it says, let not mercy and truth forsake you. The word mercy, translated love in the NIV, is the word hesed, H-E-S-E-D in Hebrew. And the broader meaning of it is loving devotion. Let not loving devotion and truth forsake you. And the word has said really has a, a meaning of devotion to God 
and to your fellow man, to be a loving person. So one of the things that we can say about this is that you will love God and you will love people. Loving God and loving people. It means to love God in the vertical, the relationships with him, and love loving man in the horizontal. And what does that mean to love our men and horizontally? It means that you're going to be willing to mutually help other people. It also means you're going to forgive other people. It means that you're going to also have sympathy, a feeling toward other people. People who are successful in the Lord's eyes are people who love him, but also love their fellow men. What's the first fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, when you accept Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit is going to be in your life, and the first fruit is love. God puts a love in our hearts for people. Why do we reach out to people we don't even know? Why do we even try to have a place for people to come that don't even know Jesus? Why? Why do we even care? Because God put that love in our heart. That's why you can't love Jesus and not love your fellow man. So loving God and loving people, but then the word truth, let not mercy or love and truth forsake you. Now, a lot of times we'll think, well, this is the truth and it is the truth and Jesus is the truth. But here the word means your word, your word is true and your life bears out the truth. You live it out. When you say something, people ought to be able to believe you. And it ought to be shown in the way you live. It's just bind it around your neck. It means to let it outwardly show. To, to show it in your daily life. So love and truth are to be ornaments in the character of your life. Love for God, love for man, and your word, your, true, your, um, your life, your, your word is true, and your life is true. And when, it, when this is shown, you will have favor with God and man. Now, I want to live in favor with God, don't you? I want God's favor. I think God's favor is shown in a lot of different ways. And I want to live under God's favor. He says, love me and love your fellow man. But it also says you'll be find favor and high esteem in sight of God and man. Now, where did people get the idea that if you're favorable with God and pleasing him, that you're going to be obnoxious to everybody else? <laughs> I've met some folks like that. And their excuse is, well, I'm not here to please you. I'm just going to please God. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If you're pleasing God, you're going to have a good rapport with other people. You're not going to be a knothead. It's my term. It's a Greek word. <laughs> Hebrew word is knucklehead. You're not going to be that. You're not going to be obnoxious to that. You know, Jesus, Jesus came to show us God's love. Jesus stood for truth and he stood against the hypocrisy of the day and people enjoyed being around him even though he would... Tell them that, that this is sin. That he, people still liked being around him. The only people that Jesus did not get along with, religious people. 
the Pharisees. They didn't get along with anybody. Listen, as a child of God, we have strong opinions, we have strong beliefs, but don't be obnoxious. Don't be hateful. You're not gonna win anybody to the Lord by being hateful. You're not. Yeah, we can have strong feelings, but, but blasting all the bad people in the world is not gonna win them to Christ. I, you don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying compromise. But think about how you were. You were very obnoxious to God and he still saved you and loves you. When you love God and love man, you receive his favor and the favor of others. There's a third truth, is a heart of reliance and trust. Verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. We learned that in Bible school. One of the first verses a lot of people learn to memorize. What does the word trust mean? The Hebrew word literally means lay prostrate on the ground, face down, if you don't know what prostrate is. When you're laying face down on the ground in front of someone, you're completely trusting them because they can do anything they want. Proverbs 28, 26 says that well, the world, the world would say, well, you know what? You just need to go with your gut. Whatever you feel like doing, the world says, you know, if it feels okay to you, go with your, go with your feelings, go with your instinct, go with your gut. But listen to what Proverbs 28, 26 says, he who trusts his own heart is a fool. And Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick and who can understand it? There's a reason God wants you to trust him. You know why? Think about this. You see, it's impossible for God to fool us because he cannot lie. And it's impossible for him to fail us because he cannot make a mistake. So why not trust him with our whole heart? And so what ways do we trust him? Three ways, entirely, all your heart. Trust God with all your heart. There's no such thing as half-hearted trust. In your pocket or in your purse, I'm probably correct that most of you have somewhere in your wallet or in your purse piece of paper that has on it in God we trust. At first glance, years ago, it looked like a great victory. The federal appeals court ruled that the phrase in God we trust on a government building does not violate the separation of church and state. The Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals based in Richmond, Virginia ruled that the national motto may remain on the facade of a county government building in Lexington, North Carolina. They listened to what the court had to say, then listened to what the court had to say, and I'm gonna quote Judge Robert King. Quote, the Fourth Circuit 
has heretofore characterized the phrase, in God we trust, when used as the national motto on coins and currency, as a patriotic and ceremonial motto with no theological or ritualistic impact. In other words, he pretty much said, we could just as much have up there in Mickey Mouse we trust. Because he's saying there's no theological or ritualistic impact. It's just a phrase. Well, folks, I want to tell you, in our life, it's either reality or it's just a phrase. Trust the Lord with all your heart. If a stranger came up to you and said, would you do me a favor? First question you're going to ask is, what is it? And they would say, well, I'm not gonna tell you what it is until you agree to do it. Then your answer should be no. Because you don't know this person from Adam. But if your spouse or a, a close best friend or a family member that you dearly love came up to you and said, would you do me a favor? Well, what is it? Well, I want you to say yes before I tell you what it is. The chances are you would go ahead and say yes because if my wife asked me that question, I know that she wouldn't do anything to embarrass me or to harm me or to cause me heartache because I know her and you know this person. And because you know them, you trust. Well, some of you have a hard time trusting God because you don't know him very well. God is not some stranger out on the backside of the universe telling you to trust him. If you're a child of God, he saved you. He's your father. He's your heavenly father. And he's saying, trust me. Well, what do you want me to do, Lord? And God says, you just trust me. Well, tell me what it is first. But when you know God and you love God, you can trust him with all your heart. He cannot lie. He's not gonna make a mistake even though we sometimes think that. You also trust God exclusively. Lean not on your own understanding. Now, what does that mean? It means that you're trying to figure life out in your own intelligence. How, how are you doing with that? How are, you, how are you doing with figuring out life on your own intelligence? When things aren't going well and you're trying to figure it out. Let me tell you, there's a lot of things in life you're never going to figure out until you get to heaven. It's not because you figured it out. God will reveal it to us. I, I don't understand why good people have bad things happen to them. I don't understand who, why godly people have heart attacks and die or get cancer and die. While some of the wicked people, they seem to go on and on and on and on. They live to a ripe old age and they, there are some people that you wish would have died a long time ago. Maybe you're going through a tough time and you're saying, God, what's, what's going on here? You're trying to figure it out on your own understanding. But I want to tell you an easier way to go is try to, instead of trying to figure it out, 
Just come to the place where you say, Lord, I know you don't lie and I know you don't make a mistake. So I trust you. I can't figure it out. I don't have the answers. I still trust you. In all things. David Russell wrote, the hardest thing to learn in life is which bridge to cross and which bridge to burn. And only God can show you that, not in your own understanding. Maybe you've heard, you probably haven't, but there's a, a man in the Olympic history books by the name of Matt Emmons. Emmons. Now, he made Olympic history, but not the way he had hoped. He was everyone's favorite in the 2004 Olympic 50-meter three-position rifle event. And, and he was ahead. And as he approached the last station, Emmons was one shot away from a gold medal, and he did not even have to hit the bullseye to win. He just had to hit the target. He steadied himself. He took aim, and he fired. It wasn't a bullseye but it was close. He had it, he thought. Normally he would have. He calculated the shot close enough to the center. It scored an 8.1, which was more than enough for the gold medal, but it didn't. Instead of first, he finished eighth. Why? Well, he did have a near bullseye, all right. It's just on the wrong target. It was an extremely rare mistake. He was standing in lane two and he shot the target in lane three. And folks, I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how accurate you are if you're aiming at the wrong target. And unless you're trusting the Lord and leaning out from, the word lean not means to lean out from, lean out from your own understanding, you're headed toward the wrong target. You're also to love him extensively within all your ways acknowledge him. Now that's easy to say. It's hard to do. Most of you in here are, are trusting God to take you to heaven, deliver you from hell. I'm trusting Jesus. No problem, right? Right? <laughs> Y'all better be right about that. But why do we not trust God with our finances? Oh, we're we're going to trust God to teach us and guide us in our church, but why do we not trust God in our vocations or in our in our lives? Why 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 do we find that such a hard time? Where to live? A lady came up to her pastor one time and said. Do you think God really cares about the little things in my life? And the pastor said, ma'am, do you think in your life there is anything that is big to God? Maybe be a big deal to you, but not to God. Notice what God says. He said, first of all, he is going to direct your path. That's divine guidance. You trust him in all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct you. You're talking about a great guide. He's going to do it. He will. And it doesn't say he might. It says he will. He shall. 
Direct means to build the road in front of you, to make straight or plain. He will build the road in front of you. And it's that word for path. He shall direct or build your custom, customary, everyday path or road. The, the, the normal parts of life. He guides you all the time. He'll guide you in your vocation. He'll guide you in your recreation. He will guide you in your home and your finances and your health. But our generation is a lot like the man, true story, in Georgia who was riding his motorcycle along a South Georgia highway on a warm summer afternoon and he had a bad accident. He claimed he was riding along a straight road watching the light poles out of the corner of his eye that had lined the road. And he became so mesmerized by the poles that were all set at equal distances and he was taken by the light poles. He was watching them and he didn't realize that when the road went left, the light poles went straight. He followed the light poles. And he had a bad accident, tore up his bike, injured himself, and then he sued the light company. The injured man maintained that when the road made a sharp turn to the left, the pole should have followed the road. Of course, he did not win that case. You follow the Lord, keep your eyes on him wherever the path goes. The Chicago Tribune in 1997 in November told the account of a man by the name of Paul Sirks, S-I-R-K-S, who watched helplessly as his single-engine vintage plane took off by itself, flew for two hours, and crashed into a bean field 90 miles away in Ohio. He had landed the 1946 Iraq. Uh, Aronka Champ at an airport because of mechanical problems and the plane's engine stalled on the runway so Sirks got out to restart it by hand. It was one of those old ones. The problem was when the engine started, the empty plane started taxiing away without him, nearly hitting another plane before taking off. It was already trimmed for landing, which meant the nose was up, so it began to climb up to about 2,000 feet and it circled for about five minutes and then it kept on climbing and took off to the northeast and flew for another 90 miles at the height of 12,000 feet till it ran out of fuel and crashed. That's exactly what's going to happen to you if you try to fly your plane without a pilot, the Lord Jesus. Now, the writer of Proverbs is not saying you can't think for yourself and that you're not intelligent, and that you don't have some understanding, but you never, ever put your thinking ahead of what God says. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Lord, what about this business deal? If you're, if you're single, Lord, what about this person that I'm dating? What kind of, you know, every part of your life. There's a fourth truth. Verse seven it says a mindset of respect and discernment. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. 
To fear God doesn't mean that you stand before God in terror. A lot of people are afraid of God. You don't have to be afraid of God. He loves you. He's your father. And through Jesus Christ, you have a relationship with him. And we don't have to be afraid of him. But we do respect him. Electricians are not afraid of electricity. But they highly respect it. Don't they? I know enough about electricity to get killed. And I've been shocked several times. Thank God for breakers <laughs> in the breaker box. Pilots of airplanes have learned to respect aerodynamics and respect the weather and respect the equipment. There's an old saying among pilots, there are old pilots and there are bold pilots, but there are no old, bold pilots. They have a respect for flying. We're supposed to have a respect for God. He's not one of the boys. He's not some pal. He's God. To respect him. To have a, an honor for him. Now there is coming a day when other people are going to be afraid of God at the great white throne judgment when they stand before God with no defense, their name's not written in the Lamb's book of life, they're going to stand before the judgment of God and they're going to scream out in terror and fear. We are loved by God. We've been forgiven by God. But in no way does it mean we disrespect him in any way. He says... Do not be wise in your own eyes. There again, it's like a repeat of verses five and six. Don't lean on your own understanding. Be discerning. You don't, you don't go through life saying, well, I feel like this is okay. I, I think it's all right. No, what does God say? And you respect him. And it says it will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. <laughs> Doesn't mean you're gonna live life without any problems. Folks, you know, there's only one way out of this earth, off this earth, and that's dying. So the moment you were, the moment you were born, you started dying. We're in the land of the dying, headed to the land of the living. And I'm not trying to be morbid here. What I'm trying to say is if you want to have better life, <laughs> Have healthy respect for the Lord and listen to him. Don't lean on your own understanding. Yeah, now don't, don't go here and say, well, you know, I know somebody who was a strong believer and, and they got killed in a car wreck or they got cancer and died. Folks, I know we live in a cursed world and things happen, so we don't ever say, well, it's because they had sin in their life that they got sick. That's ridiculous. It's because of sin in the world we get sick. But you understand what I'm saying here? It's, it's almost like a, a, you, you tell your children, do not play in the street. And so they go out there and play in the street and they get hit by a car. If they had listened to what, the Lord, to what their parents said, they wouldn't have gotten hit by a car. So that's the principle here. Do things God's way and he will add strength to you. Do you know there's a secular 
uh, studies have shown that spirituality and prayer add to healing in the hospitals and, and, and stuff. And I take it a step. Do you believe in divine healing? I do. I believe every time somebody gets well, God healed them because he's the great physician. But I want to take it a step further. I believe in divine health. All of you folks in here were able to come today. Well, that's a gift from God. Some people say, well, I don't ever remember a time God healed me. Well, yeah, every time you got well, God healed you, but he's given you health and given you strength, and every day is a gift from him. Honor him. Don't, don't be wise in your own eyes and respect him. It adds to your life. Amen? Amen. One final truth, a stewardship that honors God. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You may have remember the, the movie Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire was the story of Eric Liddell who was a runner from Scotland. And in the 1924 Olympics, he was going to run the 100-meter dash for the gold medal. He was the favorite. But the problem was some of the preliminary races or heats were held on Sunday, and Eric, being a strong believer, said, I'm not going to run on Sunday, the Lord's Day. And because of that, they, people thought he was crazy. They say, you, you're going to forfeit your prompt your chance for a gold medal and Eric said I'm still not going to run on Sunday well later on it was learned that one of the runners from Great Britain could not compete in the 400 meter run that wasn't his strong suit but they put Eric Liddell in the 400 meter Runners were down on the track trying to find their positions, getting ready, and an American athlete walked up to Eric Liddell and handed him a piece of paper and walked away. And when he opened up the paper, 1 Samuel 2.30 was written on it where God said, those who honor me, I will honor them. Well, the rest is history. He ran the 400 meters and won the gold medal but to me, the, the greater medal that he won was the one he'll get from God one day. He later went to be a, a missionary to China. He was actually there before World War II and the Japanese invaded. And he died as a Christian martyr in China. And the awards that he received from the Heavenly Father are going to be much better than any reward he got in the Olympics in 1924. Proverbs 3.9 is the only spe specific place that I know in the Bible that tells us exactly how to honor God. Honor the Lord. Surely y'all have heard that before. If you haven't been to Southcrest, maybe not. But if you've been to Southcrest, you have a poor memory. If you don't, about every Sunday I say, we don't give anything to God. We what? Honor him. Well, you know, I don't like it when you talk about money, preacher. You talk about it all the time. No, I don't. But let me tell you something. There were 38 parables that Jesus taught. 16 of them, not quite half, talk about money and possessions. 
There are 288 verses in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. One out of every 10 verses deal with money and possessions. So God knew it was going to be an issue for us. And Jesus had a lot to say about it. And what you're saying with your possessions, Lord, I'm returning to you the first, the best part, not what's left over. God, I'm gonna give you first because I know that if I don't have enough left over, you're gonna help take care of me. But if you give God what's left over, where's any faith in that and where's the honor? Oh, by the way, God, I've got this left, so I guess I'll give you a little bit of it. Let me tell you, You honor God with your life and with your possessions and with your tithes and offerings and I promise you that God will honor you. George Truitt was a pastor of First Baptist Church Dallas before W.A. Criswell was there and one day he was visiting a rich Texas oil man and they stood on the second story outdoor porch one evening after they'd eaten a great meal the Texas millionaire said to Dr. Truitt as he pointed in the direction as far as you can see he said I and there were oil wells out there when he said I own all of that as far as you can see and then he pointed in another direction where there were lots of thousands of heads of cattle and and he he said I own I own all of that as far as you can see. And he pointed in another direction where all these beautiful grain fields and he said, I own all of that as far as you can see. And Dr. Truitt then looked at him and he said, sir, how much do you own in that direction? And folks, that's the main point of life. You may have everything the world has to offer, but if you don't know the Lord, There's no success in your life. Jesus said, don't lay up treasures for yourselves on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Folks, wherever you are in life, maybe you've made some big mistakes, but God will forgive you. And if you've... You could say from this day forward, I don't know how much longer I have to live for you, God. I don't know how much longer I have to live on this earth. But from this day forward, I'm going to be successful because I'm going to remember you and obey you. I'm going to honor you and I'm going to trust you and lean out from my own understandings. God, I'm going to live for you with what I have left. Some of you have a lot lot time left. Some of you may not have a lot of time left. But, But the fact is, from this day forward, you can be successful in God's eyes. You have to know Jesus. That's the beginning place. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I pray for those today who need Jesus as their Savior that they would realize how you will forgive them of their sin, how you will cleanse them, give them new life. I pray for those watching online. I pray for those that are here in this room or watching by television later. I ask you, God, to show them where they are with you and that you would save some of them today. And Lord, for those of us who are your children, 
we're going to claim 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 that says, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Lord, forgive us for the times that we've thought on our own and tried to do stuff on our own and, and made a mess of things. But I pray, God, that today you would create order out of chaos today in people's lives. And so I lift them to you, asking you to draw them to you. If you're watching us online, if you will either hit that connect button or you can text the number 474747. That's the number to text to. Type in the words living hope. And if you'll send that to us, we'll send you some information of how we might be able to help you and connect with you today. If you're in this room, on that card in front of you is a place where it says my decision today. If you will indicate the decision that you were making and drop it in the box as you leave, we will call you on the telephone. Or after we're dismissed here, we'll be standing here at the front with our mask for safety to talk with you about any decision that you have, whether you want to join the church or be saved, or maybe you just need someone to pray with you about something. So Lord, today we ask that you would speak to hearts, draw them close to you, bring them to you. And Lord, may we be successful in your eyes for the rest of our days. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.